0: Welcome to this week's Think Jewish. And this week we once again have a double header. The double header this week is the Torah portion of Acharei and the Torah portion of Kedoshim. Okay, Acharei actually is called Acharei It was the Torah portion starts with God directing Aaron after the death of his two sons. And the second Torah portion is Kedoshim. What's very interesting about the Torah portion of Kedoshim which starts off with the commandment of you shall be holy. The What's very interesting about that commandment, if my memory serves me right, out of all the Torah portions of the entire five books of Moses, this one Torah portion has the most of the 613 commandments in it. To give a literal Parsha class will take forever. Because in one, in one verse, you can have three different mitzvahs from total different categories. And the commentaries obviously try to figure out why they're connected um most i mean when i was learning yeshiva we never even tried to delve there it's just very difficult but sometimes you come across teachings which explain it or some interesting stories that explain it but either way um so we have a lot of mitzvahs and then the Achrimot. you should know that torah portion because you hear it every yom kippur because Achrimot is the story of the yom kippur service and that's what we read okay Okay, so let's get, let's focus, let's zoom in in all the wonderful mitzvot that we have, the many wonderful mitzvot that we have in the second Torah portion of Kedoshim. There is one Torah, one mitzvah that we're going to zoom right into. And that is the process of the produce of the field for the first five years. So the first three years, normally when we talk about this mitzvah, we call the mitzvah of Arla. Because what happens is it's closed off. The first three years and I'm not gonna get into all the year details is it the three years is it the three proto seasons I'm just gonna say it the way it reads in the Torah verse and then if you want to look up more about it please feel free so in the simple sense the first three years the fruits are forbidden fruits the fourth year the fruits are not forbidden but they can only be eaten in Jerusalem and if you live a distance from there you're allowed to sell the fruits take the money go to israel and you can only buy edible food so you don't have to schlep with baskets of fruit that's going to get spoiled on the way there rather you can do the pigeon you can redeem it and but you have to buy back fruits the fifth year it becomes open for you to eat wherever you want okay so I I just want to introduce it the way it talks about it in the verse. So we get the verse picture and then we'll talk about some deeper dimensions here. So the verse says, When you come to the land and you plant any food tree, you shall surely block its fruit from use. It shall be blocked for you from use for three years, not to be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy. A praise to the Lord now I told you what that means is you have to bring it to Jerusalem and in the fifth year you may eat its fruit do this in order to increase its produce for you I am the Lord your God so the mimer goes straight into questions before we do questions I want to give some background so that we can really understand and appreciate what's going on here so a little bit of Kabbalistic background and then we'll connect it to what we're talking here Uh, We're not going off on a tangent, but I just want to give you background so we can really appreciate it. There is something called in the world of Kabbalah, three heads. Gimel, you know, is three. Shalosh. What are these three heads? You should just know that in the world of Kabbalah, there's two ways of counting it. You should be familiar with this from chapter three in Tanya. We talk about the three parent and the seven offspring. The three head, Normally, we talk about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. The seven lower ones, the seven offspring, different names, but normally in Kabbalah, it's the three heads and the seven lower ones. Now, the three heads, simply the way I just told it to you, is wisdom, understanding, knowledge. However, in Kabbalah, and there's an in-depth explanation to why we, we, we play around with the two, but the supernal crown and the, the intellect of knowledge is interchangeable. So much so that there's a rule where you count the supernal crown, you don't count the dat, you don't count knowledge, the intellect of knowledge. Where you count the intellect of knowledge, you don't count the supernal crown. So when you're counting the supernal crown, instead of having chabad, which is chachma binadat. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, you have what we call kachab, which is keter, chachma, bina, the supernal crown, the the wisdom and understanding. So I just wanted to let you know that in case you're going to be taken back, you've never heard, we always spoke about the three intellects, now we're talking about the other Kabbalistic format. Okay, and the reason why, actually, interesting speaking, is because this teaching of the Rebbe of 1968 is built upon a teaching of his great 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 grandfather, which carried his also his namesake, the Tzemach Tzedek, and he built his teaching on a Kabbalistic commentary known as the Bachaya, Rabbeinu Bachaya, on the Torah portion, and Rabbeinu Bachaya, he lists concerning this mitzvah, he talks about kachab, he talks about the three which is Keter Chachma Bina, okay? So, I just want you to know that that's how we're going to be dealing here. And then, what purpose does dot serve when we count supernal crown, wisdom, understanding? That's when dot that serves as, we use the Kabbalistic language, the key to the sixth, which means the six emanations, the six masculine emanations. And then there's the seventh feminine one. But over here, dot serves as kind of the interface between the intellect and the emotions. We'll see later on, not only that, it also serves as the interface because it's the middle line, not the right or the left, and the crown and king, right? If you ever look at the charts, you'll, uh, you'll come across in different Kabbalah books and covers on Kabbalah books. There's like the dot on top, the dot on bottom, and then you have the three threes, right? So you have the dot on top is the crown. The dot on bottom is the kingship. And in between, what do you have? The three threes. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, kindness, strictness, and compassion. And then on the bottom, you have victory, gratitude, and foundation. So because that middle line, so that also serves as an interface with supernal crown. But normally, when we talk about that interface, we talk about that that middle intellect, is the one that opens up, that the intellect should become the six emotions. I want to be limited in the Kabbalistic talk, but I, I see in your eyes that uh, we just disconnected here. So just to understand, simply speaking, what does that mean? When you go to a true court of Din Torah, and, and I'm careful with the words Din do I use the word true. I'm not here to get into my personal issues with Din but I'm talking about the absolute true torah dimension of adin torah as explained in the world of kabbalah and chasidus the way it's supposed to work according to kabbalah and chasidus is that when the rabbis are dealing with the law there are no humans there's no right there's no wrong it's pure intellect trying to delve into the situation according to The absolute word of God. No rabbi is worried about, one second, second. I'm thinking of this format that's going to lead to that person being right and he's not the one that asked me to join. It was the other one. That all is in whatever. It's not what we're talking about here tonight. We're talking about just plain and simple purity. The world of Kabbalah has the three rabbis as one leaning towards one way One leaning towards the other way, and the center one brings them both together. But when we talk about the leaning one way and the other way, we're not talking about leaning emotionally. Because at this point, there is no verdict. We're just dealing with pure intellect. After the pure intellect is discussed, then we now have to realize, hey, we're sitting on a court bench. We're not here just exploring issues they're asking us for a verdict then goes that next stage which is called in the world of Hasidus and therefore that word and therefore is the first time in an appropriate din Torah where the rabbi says according to what I understand of the law of the word of God therefore you are either right or wrong That moment of therefore is a very interesting interface where the intellect is being translated into an emotion. It's not just no more the pure pursuit of the word of God as it is given by God. It's now the interface and therefore what? Is this kosher? Is it not kosher? Does he owe money? Doesn't he owe money? There's a right and wrong here, a right and a left. And therefore, now we start with the emotional inclinations where Hillel was emotionally set to be more lenient towards the kind side. Shammai was more emotionally set to be to the left's givura, stringent side. But when Shammai and Hillel were in the actual beauty of seeing this not as a true physical case, but as purity of what God's word was, they weren't connected to emotions. So when I tell you that dot serves as that key to the six, it's because dot is where we leave the absolute purity of detached, abstract intellect and bring it down to an emotional inclination of compassionate strictness, you know, and that's where it goes so in the in the way we're talking now we're talking about the three heads tonight we're going to be discussing the three heads as a supernal crown the wisdom and the understanding and then there's a different the interface which is the dot and then there's the emotions okay okay so that was the second introduction third introduction we need to understand an entire background in order to appreciate tonight's class Based on many Hasidic and Kabbalistic t- teachings, so let's start. The Zohar, when it talks about the days of creation, it says an interesting word: "Yamin Ilain," supernal days. What's supernal days? Supernal days, as we know them, uh, we understand them, is the six male emotions and the seventh feminine mystic emotion, and thus we have the days of creation, the first six days. There was proactive involvement of borders, this is me, this is you, there was a whole to-do over there. If you look at the teachings, it was very concerned because God had to make sure there was an even amount of creations. If the first day was about the celestial beings, the second day was about the terrestrial beings, and then we have the sixth day and the seventh day which caused an imbalance. So what happens is that there's an entire man, masculine understanding of borders. But we're talking about the emotions. Then comes the Shabbat with the feminine mystique, which is all about the concept of inner peace. Shabbat menucha. So the world was created, according to the Zohar's teaching, the seven days of creation, which then reflects into the seven the seven years of the sabbatical year, which then reflects into the jubilee year, which then reflects into the seven millenniums of existence, of creation, is all about The seven emotions, which leads us to a simple question. We know that there's ten emanations, right? We always speak about the three intellects and the seven emotions. So why do we have a seven-day week? There should have been a ten-day week. Why is there a seven-year sabbatical cycle? There should have been a ten. Why do we have the the, uh, seven millenniums? We should have ten millenniums. And it's interesting because when you talk about different teachings, you have all the different harps you have the harp of the seven strings the harp of the eight strings the harp of the 10 strings so the number 10 plays a role so why over here in creation did those intellects not play a role in creation and very interesting to understand this we have a different teaching which tells us al pa'im shana kadmat the torah was existing 2000 years prior to the creation of the world, which, of course, causes a whole big problem because we know that time and space began with the letter Bet of Bereshit, the two, time and space. So how can we have 2,000 years before the world existed? Year is a product of time. Comes along the great Rabbi Isaac Luria, and he saves the day. He tells us that the word Alpaim doesn't only mean Thousands, two thousands, but the word eleph, which is thousand, can also be from the word to teach, right? You're familiar with the word upan? So he says that this teaching is really not talking about 2,000 years. It's talking about the two teachers. And he goes on to explain. Alef chachma, alef chabina. The teacher of wisdom and the teacher of knowledge. And now we understand what it means that they're kadma Olam, they're primordial, because what we're actually learning from this interesting process is that while the seven emotions is within the reach of creation, they manifest themselves in creation. However, the three intellects, which we referred to before as the three heads, is beyond the scope of creation's appreciation. And thus it's only a seven day week and not a ten day week. Okay. Why am I telling you all this? Because it's leading us to where we need to get to right now. And that is, by, by the way, before I go into that, the three heads, obviously you see where I'm going with it. I'm connecting it to the three years of forbidden fruits. But stay back for a moment. Before I go there, let's just be practical. This whole teaching that we're only in the realm of emotions, spiritual emanations of emotions and not intellects, what does that mean to us practically? So I want to share with you what it means to us practically. Practically speaking, we are presently only charged with tikkun hamidot. What do those two words mean? The correction of our emotion. So we're charged today to have emotion management and even emotion transformation. While tikkun hamokhin, the correction and transformation of the intellect, of the human paradigm, we are not capable of having today. So no matter how much we're studying Hasidus and how much we even name this series called Think Jewish, our thinking Jewish is only the human capacity and experience of thinking Jewish divine thoughts, but to completely change our paradigm where the reality as we perceive it will be God is tangible and work and bills and health is abstract, we're not experiencing right now. While in the emotions, we could absolutely experience that. We can, I'll just tell you an interesting story. Um, Dr. Weiss, who was the Rebbe's uh, doctor since the Rebbe's heart issue in 1978 in the um, Simchas Torah, so what happened was he once asked the Rebbitzin before the holidays. He asked the Rebbitzin, "Is your husband the Rebbe afraid of pain?" It was about they were talking about certain testing procedures. Interesting enough, the answer the Rebbitzin gave, "No, my husband's not afraid of pain." But he's extremely afraid of the high holidays that are coming up. So we can actually transfer our emotion. Let's talk about something that was a Rebbe. Let's talk about something more practical. You and I literally shake from fear that our children won't have a profession and won't be able to perform a living. You realize that as Jews, we live in an extreme fear. That our children will not one day be able to lead a Passover Seder. So, our definition of fear, we are capable of changing it. Our definition of love, of passion, of compassion. We are actually possible and there it's we are actually capable and therefore responsible to have tikkunam midot. Because the midot aspect the divine revelation is within the world it created this world it is the existence of these worlds this world what happened to the intellect so there's an interesting verse in As Yashir, the song of Moses and the Jewish people after they crossed the splitting of this of the sea and the Egyptians were got stuck in the sea and what does it say As Yashir Moshe we say it every day in our prayers in that song the second verse Reads very interestingly. It says over there, The real practical translation of that verse, the way we learn it, when we're simply learning the literal translation is, And the elite officers were drowned in the Sea of Reeds. The choice, the elite. Of his soldiers, officers. Tobubi Tobu they were drowned in the in the ocean. So we're singing that here he came with his soldiers marching to attack us and bring us back to Egypt. We're singing to God. He brought his finest. Where are they now? Okay. Kabbalah does a whole different twist here. The word Shalishov they redefined to come from the word shalosh. What does the word shalosh mean? Three. O um, Mivhar Shalishav, the Elite three, let's call them the three heads, they were drowned in the sea of divinity. They are off limits and indigestible to land creatures. The sea represents the paradigm of divinity. This, the fish is within the ocean, so much so that I share with you very often, that there's a teaching that if you hold on to a fish and you go into the mikveh, it's not considered a separation between your hand and the water because the sea creature is the sea. And what that means to us, kabbalistically speaking, is that is that beautiful, absolute paradigm that we are nothing more but the existence of God. Land creatures don't have that. So when we talk about omifchar shalishav, according to the... Kabbalistic interpretation, the elite three of our infrastructure, the elite three of our soul's infrastructure from the ten emanations, the ten faculties, the top three has been drowned within the sea of divinity paradigm and is off-limits, indigestible beyond the capacity of the land creature's paradigm of egocentric identity. So once again, I'm sharing with you the practical outcome. When we talk about the three heads, we're not there. We'll see later Mashiach's times. But for us right now, we're existing within the emotions. Now you'll ask me a question, which I'm going to push off for later. So if we're only into emotions, why are we learning Chabad, Chasidus? Chabad is about understanding, understanding, understanding. We'll talk about that. Believe it or not, the Rebbe actually asked his father-in-law that question. It seems to be the Baal was more about emotions. Chabad is more about intellect. We'll talk about that later if you want in the Q&A. But right now, there's enough here depth to deal with before we go off there. Okay? So let's go back to what we're talking about. So we have the three that's not within our reach. Those are the three heads. Tonight, we're defining them as what? The crown with the supernal crown Wisdom and understanding. Now let's go back to what the verse says. Okay. The first three years of produce are forbidden for us to eat. Why are they forbidden for us to to eat? Because the Barabbin Bachaya explains that this is the manifestation of the three heads. The three heads were drowned within the sea of divinity. They're not within reach for me to be able to eat. And thus you soar. That the title tonight is, Forbidden Fruits Don't Eat What You Can't Digest. I can't digest this. It isn't the appropriate time. We're not ready for it. This is the Mivchar Shalishov. This is the elite three. And thus it's off limits to us completely. We just can't. Then comes the fourth. What's the fourth? The fourth is Dat. Fourth is knowledge. What did I tell you before about that? When we talk about the crown, wisdom, understanding as the three heads, I told you it's the key to emotions, right? If it's the key to the emotions, what are we dealing with here? A beautiful paradigm, a beautiful paradox of a paradigm. On one hand, it's connected to emotions. We could eat it. On the other hand, it's an intellect. We can't eat it. We can't digest that level of divinity. Thus we have, both together, which leads us to, you could eat it, but only in the holy city of Jerusalem. We could eat it because it's within the reach of emotions, tikkun amidot. We can't eat it because dot is an intellect. It's part of the three lobes of your brain, not part of your emotions. And therefore, eat it only in Jerusalem. That, the fourth year, correct. By the way, the correct term for the fourth year, the first three I told you is arla. The next one is called netarivai, the produce of the, the planting of the fourth. revive from the word revi. Then we have, and in the fifth year, you can eat it wherever you want. Which is going to lead us now to questions. Question number one. What do you mean, and in the fifth year? It should really say, and from the fifth year on. The verse seems to read wrong. Right? We have that. We're told concerning a mother and a baby of an animal the first eight days, you can't. And from the eighth day and on, how come over here it didn't say, and from the fifth year and on? I read you the verse and it says, and in the fifth year, question number one. Question number two, why does it say, and I am Lord your God? There are many mitzvot where it does not say. Majority of the mitzvot doesn't finish off with, and I am Lord your God. I want to just give you a little insight. Rashi commentaries tell us that when it says, and I am Lord your God, Rashi talks about two different reasons why you have to look into which one's applicable. But one of the things he says there is that I am Lord your God who is trustworthy to give you your reward. Which leads us to the question, why by this mitzvah do we need God to reaffirm to us that I'll give you your reward? Most of the mitzvahs, he doesn't do that. What's going on here? Okay? So those are the two questions that we led to. Before I can explain to you that, we need to now go and undo everything we just did. So I went and I shared with you that the first three years of the forbidden food, why are they forbidden? Because they're so holier than holy. They're the three heads, the supernal crown, wisdom, understanding... We are incapable of digesting that. We are the product of the supernal days, which is all about emotions, the lower seven. So therefore, we can't eat it. I, when I told you that even the fourth year, why is it only permissible to eat it in the holiest of places upon this globe? Is because it's, ne- it's the intellect of that, which is the key to the emotions. So it's within reach, but not ab- exactly within reach. So you could eat it. It's connected to emotions, but only in the holy city of Jerusalem. Right? And that was a beautiful teaching. Now let's flip it all on his face. By the way, in Tanya, when Tanya starts introducing the different levels of evil, you should just know that the Arla is the one that he picks to use. Go look in your chapter 7, 8, where he starts talking about it. And he says, what comes from the total impurity is the fruits of the first three years, which are forbidden, which I told you are called Arla. Okay? Wow. Where did this happen? We were talking about the three heads, and now I want to give you a whole different interpretation. To understand this different uh, interpretation, let's finally go ahead and set up straight for us to understand the other side. Sitra achra, the other side. Aramaic, not Hebrew. What is the other side? The other side is the verse, that the, the, the term that Kabbalah uses when we talk about impurity. The side is holiness. The other side is. In the world of impurity, in the levels of impurity, there are two levels. The lower level is what we call the three husks of impurity. Gimel, klipot, tmeot. Now I just want to share with you. Why do we call, it's not my notes, but it's important that we get a real picture here, a tangible picture. Why do we call it husk? Husk means a pill because anything that covers the light the divine light is considered impure so we talk about the three husks of impurity absolute impurity okay then we talk about a different level of impurity which we call klipa noga klipa noga translated klipa means husk noga means light what does it mean the husk of light What I was handed down from my teachers was that if you look at a peanut and an egg, both of them have the outer hard shell, which you cannot see at all through it. But they also both have beneath the harder shell is a thin membrane, which is partially transparent. We call it the husk of light because this is the husk, which is partially transparent. Let's get practical, let's not get caught up over here in levitating. Practically speaking, in the world of Kabbalah, non-kosher animal species, i.e. pig, comes from the three husks of impurity. So it's not going to make a difference if you slaughtered it and made a blessing and salted it and took out the blood. You used it for a Shabbos dish, a Brit Milah, you invited poor people to come, you're all discussing words of Torah, not happening. There's zero transparency here. We cannot connect to the divine spark within it. While all kosher species, the cows, everything else that's kosher, comes from the noga, the husk of light. Now thus, while it in itself is not holy, it is within the reach because of the transparency. We can connect with the godly spark within. The question, just simply, let's put it out there quickly. Why do we call mundane? Because that's how we do it, really. There's the mundane and there's the impure. Kosher animals are mundane. They're not impure. Impure animals are impure. So why do we call it as part of the impurity levels? Remember I told you there's two levels of impurity. So just understand, in the world of holiness, where there's absolute 101% transparency to the divine light, any obstruction, to the divine light, is already considered in the world of impurity. Which is why in the world of Chassidus, if you're eating an absolutely kosher meat on Shabbat, but you're sitting there salivating on the delicious aroma and pleasure upon your palate, you're now lowering yourself to the animal. The Baal was not in my notes, but if you guys are willing to take the longer ride, in the Baal Shem Tov has a story where he told his students to get together and put their hands to form a circle. And the Baal Shem Tov would be the last one to complete that circle. And when he completed that circle, they knew already that they had to have certain meditations to be able to see what the naked eye doesn't see. And he would complete it and they would physically see what the naked eye doesn't see. And all of a sudden, they gasped and broke the circle because what they saw was physically, a cow, sitting with that fur, beautiful strimal hat for Shabbat, with a beautiful black coat, with a beautiful garthel wrapped around, all in Shabbos dressings, eating. And they gasp, "What was this?" Bashiya said, "What don't you understand? Look at that man eating. He's not elevating the meat into him. He has completely lowered himself into the egocentric, self-indulgence of delight, physical pleasure, delight of that meat." So the mundane in the world of chassid is because it's not absolutely, absolutely transparent, we're already saying, whoa, 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 you're stepping into the other side. Which, by the way, is also why the word for bread, lechem, comes from the same root of the word for war, milchama. Because eating is a time of war. You're being pulled into the physical and your job is to, whoa, 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 no, we're pulling you into the spiritual. So at eating, there'll always be a tug-of-war. Is the animal turning the human into an animal? Or is the human turning the animal into part of his being, which is human? Okay? So now we know. We have those two things. Now let's talk about this. The first three years, which is forbidden. Why is it forbidden? Because it's called what? The three husks of impurity. The fourth year, which is permissible only in the land of Israel is because it's from the Klippat Noga, the husk of light. So on one hand, you are allowed to eat it because it is there is some transparency there. But on the other end, we got to be very careful. Thus, we can only eat it in the protective city of Jerusalem. Okay? So we have both sides to this coin. Now, by the way, I just want you to know interesting to know what's going on here the three levels of total impurity the husks of impurity is actually hinted in the second verse of Genesis what does it say there now the earth was bewilderment and void and darkness was on the face of the deep right tohu all those three levels all those three words seem not to be inviting words. And we refer to them as the three of the other side, which is the lower level of impurity, untouchable. Okay, so now let's let's wrap our head around this. How do you give me two Kabbalistic teachings of absolute polar opposites on the same forbidden fruits, the same fourth year of produce, the same mitzvah? How does that work? You can't do that. It's either the holiest or the holiest, or it's the lowest or the lowest. How can you say that these very first three f- years of forbidden fruits? They're forbidden because they're so unbelievably high. No, they're forbidden because they're so unbelievably low. Okay? So to understand that, we need to understand the story in the Talmud. It's called the upside down. What's the story called the upside down for? And it's simple. Because his son woke up, he was himself a sage, and he went and he told his father, Tati, Olam Hafukhre iti. I had a dream in which the world was upside down. And his father answered him, panic not my son. What you really saw was Olam kimin hago. You saw the world the way it really is. What's the story in the Talmud and what's it teaching us? What it's teaching us is that this entire physical world is a mirror, reversed reflection the spiritual worlds and thus understand that the higher of the spiritual worlds fall lower into the physical worlds by the way again parenthetically speaking let's be practical we know that there are certain children that we're not worried about them they're not showing outstanding leaps in one direction and or the other but a good teacher knows, if you can hap that troublemaker, you have the makings of a true leader. Just simply speaking. There's a story we talk about the speeding horse. There was a person who was a horse racer and he came to the Alter Rebbe and he spoke to the Alter Rebbe about the horse. And the Alter Rebbe gave him a very interesting line of Musser, which later turned him into a Baal Teshuvah. The Alter Rebbe told him the speeding horse is beautiful if it's heading in the right direction. The speeding horse is horrific, if it's in the wrong direction. If you're going in the wrong direction, you would have rather had a slow horse. So it's the same thing. The highest falls the lowest. Thus we understand, some unbelievable teaching. The three husks of impurity is the fallen three heads of the spiritual world. And thus you now understand that what seems to be a polar opposite teaching is actually one and the same teaching. In the spiritual worlds, why are these three years of fruits, forbidden fruits? Because they're untouchable. They're skyscrapers. They're beyond our reach. They're the three heads. The world is only created of the seven lowers. However, when that descends into this world, then we're dealing with the higher descends to the lower. And what do we have then? We have the three husks of impurity. Let's talk about the next level. That who's not so high, when he falls down, he doesn't fall so low. He becomes the husk of light. So these two teachings are actually one and the same. But that's not the reason the Rebbe is delving into this, to understand that. There's something far more beautiful here that's going to get very practical. So let's deal with the universe's greatest question. Why did God create equal? Uh, why did God create evil? And I'm not talking about the evil of freedom of choice. Humans, that's not, we're not talking about that. But the bottom line is that a pig is not kosher, not because it was bad in class and got kicked out of there A pig is not kosher because it was born, not kosher. And I just told you that why is it not kosher? Because it comes from the domain of the three husks of pure evil. Why is the cow, yes, kosher? Not because it graduated kindergarten into the olive based class, but simply because it comes from the husk of light. When you understand that this is not freedom of choice, freedom of choice applies to humans, not to laws of kosher. So then we ask ourselves, why did God create pork? He created it and we can't use it. In the world of Kabbalah, this question really becomes big. In the world of Torah, let's not always use the word Kabbalah. Kabbalah has a deeper dimension to it. But let's talk about simple Torah. There's a straight out teaching that everything that God created in his world was only for the Jews to serve him. So you're telling me that everything you created is so that I can use it in my service to God and do a mitzvah out of it. Acts of goodness and kindness. And then you go ahead and you create so many things that you tell me, uh uh-uh, can't go there. Where does it make sense? It doesn't fit into the the Torah tells us its plan. This doesn't fit into the plan. Why create things that I can't use when you told me that everything you created is only to be used for the service of God. If not, God has no need for it. The answer to this question is very interesting. There are two ways we serve God. One way is through engagement. What do we do when we engage? We reach to a physical object. We engage with it and we turn it into goodness and kindness. Very simple. So six days a week, we're busy working, working, working with that. Hopefully we're earning a kosher livelihood. And what do we do with that kosher livelihood? We actually go ahead and turn it into acts of goodness and kindness. We build a Jewish home. We support a school. We get involved in the shul, we invite poor people to come and eat by our table. Parenthetically speaking, this is not either in my notes, but I want to just tell you an interesting story. Once upon a time, there was an incinerator downstairs in 770. For those of you who watched the clips before Pesach, you'll notice that in the earlier years, that's where the Rebbe went to burn his chametz. He threw it actually into the incinerator. The bag, after davening, he went, he threw it into the on Erev Pesach, he threw it into the incinerator. Where does the Rebbe's letters go? People are writing to the Rebbe's personal things. Where does it go? So the Rebbe would very often prepare a bag, give it to his secretary label Groner, and tell him that this is to go downstairs and to be burnt. Throw it into the incinerator. One time, as he was walking down the steps, he slipped. The bag fell. And the things fell out of the bag. And lo and behold, he sees his money in the bag. Okay. So he puts everything in the incinerator, but he takes the money out. He brings back the money to the Rebbe and tells the Rebbe, Rebbe, there's money in the bag. The Rebbe said, you looked in the bag? At that second, his entire career was hanging on a thread. And he told the Rebbe, no. Chas v'shoom, I didn't look into your bag, but I fell. And the bag fell. And the money fell out. His job stayed. And then the Rebbe just said quietly, it's not kosher money. Just hear what's going on here. It's so serious. That which comes from the three husks of evil, you can't use it for a mitzvah. You can't have a Passover Seder with lobster and pork. And this money was not going to be used by the Rebbe. The Rebbe, through his sensitivity, felt that this money is not kosher money. But that which is kosher, we engage with. So all the items and creation of the husk of light, which we call mundane, that is what the 248 mitzvot are all about. When God tells us, thou shall, what's he telling us? This, you can elevate. How do you elevate it? Engage with it. Now let's talk about the other type of service. There are 365 prohibitions in the Torah, right? 248, 365 equals 613. What happens with these prohibitions? What happens is that there are things that are off limits to us because they're from the three husks of impurity. And therefore, how do I serve God is by saying no. By suppressing my desire. By going through the pain and the agony of saying no. Why are you saying no? Because you're adhering to God's prohibitions. Let's make this practical, okay? So we're walking down the street. You know the economy is not in the greatest mode right now. And wonderfully speaking, the kosher food has to be at least three times the price of the non-kosher food. And of course the sandwiches have to be half the size. So you're having a rough day. And all of a sudden, the guy opens up the door to Burger King coming out with his three bags of the big double-triple-deckers with the fries. And that whiff comes right at you. You're hungry. You want to eat. This you could afford. And what do you do right then? You say no. By the way, when you said no, did you experience pleasure or pain? Let's be honest. There was pain. There was pain, frustration, sometimes bleeds over to resentment. Right? There's a reason why in Fiddler on the Roof, that fine man looked up to God and said, Can't you choose a, a different nation every once in a while? So, interesting enough, there's two ways to serve God. They're serving God by engaging with all that is from the husk of light, and then they're serving God by disengaging, suppression. Here is the kicker, my friends. According to the teachings of Kabbalah. The service of God through the pain and agony of suppression reaches greater heights than the service of God through the pleasure of engagement. Because you, my dear friend, are much more deeper touched by the pain of having to say no than you are by the pleasure of saying yes. That's the way it is. If you want to see this in plain, simple action, take a rich man who always eats beautiful big meals. He's eating so slow, so calm, so nicely. Next to him, he invited a poor person who's never seen so much food on a plate in his life, and how is he eating? You know, in Hebrew, they say, what's for sure is for sure. What I get in my stomach, I'm not going to be losing. So he's gobbling. Now do something else. (laughs) Take away the food from the poor man. Take away the food from the rich man. What's going to happen? The pleasure that you saw on the poor man's face when he received his food is going to be so pale compared to the pain and the fuss you're going to hear the rich man make. What do you mean you're taking away? What do you mean I can't have it? And thus the adherence of the 365 prohibitions is far greater than the engagement of the 248 Thou Shalts" commandments. Now let's take it to the next level because now pieces should be falling into place for us. What we say, the 248 Thou Shalts" deals with what? With the husk of light. What does the 365 prohibitions deal with the three husks of impurity? What did I just tell you before that the higher falls lower? It's not an upside down world. It's actually the real world. So what are we saying here? What we're saying here is that the three husks of impurity are the experience of the three heads, which we don't even, we're not capable of digesting. You understand now that when you're doing a mitzvah, I am going to light Shabbos candles. I am going to put on tefillin. I am going to do this. What are you connecting with? You're connecting with the lower level. You're connecting how the emanation of knowledge manifested itself in the husk of light. What happens when you say no? I'm burning, I'm aflame, and I'm saying no. I haven't eaten in days. I'm saying no. What's going on now? What we're dealing with is the three husks of impurity. The three husks of impurity is the manifestation of what? The three heads. So you understand that that which we're telling us, that we are forbidden because we cannot digest it by adhering to the prohibition, We are digesting that, which is completely beyond the universe's capacity, the three heads. Now you understand the two two questions. Why does it say an in the fifth year? It should have said from the fifth year on. So here I need to share with you something. In the world of Kabbalah, there's four and there's the fifth. What is the four? the 4 is the four letters of the tetragrammaton. If you learn kabbalah in fact you'll see it in your bedtime prayers. You'll see what it is four paragraphs because it's talking about what all the six uh, all the commandments of God are really from the four letters. The four letters represent the 10 emanations. So when we talk about four when we talk about the four when you talk about the four levels right the yudas, is the wisdom the daat the bina the spreading out is the hey, the first hey. The vav, which equals six, is bringing the down into the male emotions. And the last hey is the feminine mystique, the Shabbat. But what I wanted to share with you now is that the four letters is what? That's what we spoke about before, the engaging, dealing with the natural flow. The natural flow of the universe comes from how many days was it created in? Seven. What did the Zohar say? That these are the days of the supernal days because we only come from what? The emotional em- emanations. But what's the fifth? So I want to show it to you because I actually made a picture. Those listening online, you could just go ahead and get it where I got it from. And that is by going to google.com, images, and just write the word YUD, Y-U-D, which is the 10th of the Hebrew alphabet. You see this picture here? You notice that the the yud, as it's written in the Sefer Torah, Tefillin, and Mezuzot, does not look the way it looks in your sidur. In your sidur, it's pretty much just a dot with a little tail. What's very important to us is that there's something called kotzo shel yud. Kotzo shel yud is the thorn. It's on top of the yud. You see, in the left-hand corner, there's a crown. There's something that goes up. That in the world of Kabbalah is called the fifth dimension. It's not from the four letters of the Tetragrammaton, which is what the world's about. It's actually from the supernal crown. It actually comes from that which is above and beyond. Now you understand, by the way, that the same people who say that the three is all about the three heads. You remember the three words that I spoke to you about in the second verse of Genesis? Right? Bewilderment, Empty, right, darkness, they say that those are the highest levels. Why? Because it's the primordial divine light which is beyond the capacity of creation's illumination. And thus they refer to as darkness and bewilderment. Why? Because they're not part of the letters of God's name. They're from the thorn of the Yud, above and beyond. So that's called the fifth dimension. Now let's read the verse. For three years, you're prohibited to eat the fruits. Why are you forbidden to eat the fruits? Because they come from the three what? The three husks of impurity. Which was what? The fallen three heads. By not eating, experiencing the pain of, what do you mean? These are my fruits. I've been working for this. I work this field. What do you mean I can't have it? What are you doing then? You're transforming the three husks of impurity back up to what? to the three heads beyond creation. Thus, the verse says, and in the fifth year, not from the fifth year, and in the fifth year, you know what it's really telling you? What it's really telling you is that if you keep that prohibition, you're going to transform the evil. Until now, the three hosts of impurity was a blockage to the Jew. It was a hindrance. But when you keep the prohibition governing the three husks of impurity, all of a sudden you transformed it not into the divine light of the universe. That starts with the name of God. We're talking about the fifth dimension. We're talking about the thorn of the Yud. We're talking about above and beyond the world. What happens then? Then God tells you, keep what I told you about the three years and you'll be living in the fifth year. You'll be eating from the fifth dimension, which is what Mashiach's error is all about. The transformation from the three hosts of impurity into the primordial. Remember, before the world was created, the 2000 years before, we're talking higher than higher. That's what you're going to experience. You'll be living in the fifth year. And that's why if you look at the verse, it says, do so, so you'll have the increase. What kind of increase? We're not talking about eight letters instead of four letters because that's still all letters. We're talking about the increase which is exponential. It's a quantum leap. We're going from the four letters of the universe's experience of divine light, which we call tikkun and we're jumping into the thorn of the Yud. Now you understand why God has to reaffirm it? I am God your God. I am telling you if you keep the prohibition, not only am I going to give you my name, my tetragrammaton, I am standing here telling you, I am God, your Lord. I will give you the light of in the fifth dimension, the messianic era. Okay. Let's go ahead and close up the class now. Oh, before I close up the class, we left one thing out. We spoke about the three prohibited and we spoke the forbidden fruits and we spoke about the fifth. We left out a year, didn't we? The fourth. We did speak about the four letters, but there's something very important to remember. What makes the experience of adherence to prohibition possible? What makes it possible to experience the fifth dimension in a functional and healthy way? We've all witnessed way too often people go spiritually off the deep end. It's the fourth year. We need to spend our life in commitment to the day-to-day experiences of Torah study and mitzvah observance. That's the fourth year. Imagine jumping into the thorn of the Yud without having the four letters of God. So the fourth year is, the, is what makes the fifth year possible. Okay? Let's just line it up in a very simple closing fashion. The entire journey of life is all about that. If you look into your morning prayers, you have over there a beautiful prayer. Right? You're familiar with that prayer? Let's do it in the English version so everyone can appreciate it. My God, the soul which you have given within me is pure. Now let's start counting. You have created it. You have formed it. You have breathed it into me and you preserve it within me. How many do we count? Four. The descent of the soul, the journey of the soul, is to descend into the fourth. But that's a big descent. Because there isn't no rabbi who's going to give a lecture in this world at the type of lectures he heard when he was in the Garden of Eden. There's going to be no mitzvah experience as spiritual and as blissful as the way it shines up in the spiritual world. So why would you come down here for the, for the name of God? For the four letters in the name of God, you had it up there beautifully. And the answer is the only reason for the descent is because there's an ascent that you can only reach through the pain and the agony of the self-control of the physical body in a physical world saying no to the 365 prohibitions. So in one sentence, people, what did we find out tonight? What we found out tonight is the beauty of the 365 prohibitions. Most of us love the, oh, I'm gonna do this and this, and I feel very spiritual. Most of us don't like the, don't do this, don't do that. That's kind of the unspoken pain in the mm of being Jewish. But the doing, that's beautiful. We all have our traditions, Tradition, that that's okay. But when you start with don't eat this and don't eat that and don't do this and don't do that and you're busy schlepping onto the beautiful cruise that you've been waiting for your entire lifetime with cans of sardines and frozen airplane meals, we got a problem here. So what we're learning here is that the beauty of that pain of having to say no is so much greater in our relationship with God than the unbelievable beauty of the pleasure of saying yes. And thus it's only the three years that take us into the fifth year. People, thank you.